the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Welcome to Wine Women Radio, where we discuss what we're drinking and what's happening in the wine industry. Pour yourself a glass and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. It's Wine Women Radio Hour. Thank you for joining us today. In point of fact, that us right now is just me. I'm Marsha Maycumber, your host for today, because Lisa Adams Walter is on assignment. Also, Misty Adams, uh, not Misty Adams, Misty Rodebush Kane is also on assignment today. So uh, we're down to a host of one. And I am here in a beautiful, beautiful Napa Valley location on the valley floor at Fortunati Vineyards with. Ellen Reichlichtel. Good afternoon, Ellen. Good afternoon, Marsha. Thank you so much for being here at our new little boutique winery. It's gorgeous. Oh, thank you. Uh, You and I actually have a lot of history, so I've been here long before the tasting room and the micro winery were built. Yes, yes, you have. This is a stunner. It's great to have this new facility. Oh, you're so kind. Thank you. So so setting the scene, uh, we have a tasting room with uh, big, big, wide open doors giving you vistas up and down the valley, across to the Mayakimas. You've got... The uh, Vaca on the, the eastern border. on the east, yeah. And then Ma- at the very tip of Napa Valley, you have Mount St. Helena. You absolutely do. And it's uh, gorgeous. Yeah. It's very pretty. <sighs> well, we took a little bit of a... A brief pause there because uh, your husband walked back in, Ellen. He did. He's a busy guy. Matter of fact, most of the time when you and I have been tasting your wine, your Fortunati wines that Gary makes, he has usually been going in and out to work in the vineyards to go make wine. And making wine is not just the actual moment of making wine. There's so much more to it. Gary, what was going on today where you were making the wine? Oh, yeah, interesting. Um, when you're buying barrels and when you're a small producer like we are, you really have to watch the money. And if you order early, you can get, you know, 50, 60 euros off per barrel. That's from pretty some good. Companies. It, and, and, but yeah. I, so I went to the winery and said, oh, my, the deadline's March 15th. It's, um, <laughs> it's, it's time. And so I went and tasted through the barrels to make sure the barrels I bought last year from this barrel producer worked because the vineyard's not changing, the clonal selection's not changing, the rows are not changing, but the barrels change every year. And so I have to make the decisions on these barrels now or pay quite a bit more later. And so that's what I was doing was tasting the different you know, toasted head, non-toasted head, tight grain, medium grain, extra tight grain, um, those things. So you, it's always something. Barrel, barrels are part of the recipe. Barrels are definitely part of the recipe. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. And as you said, they're not inexpensive. Some of our listeners may not realize um, the range of cost in barrels. French oak barrels uh, are usually uh, somewhere in four digits. For yes. one, just for one. Yes. <laughs> Yes, it, it's it's, it's <laughs> yes. rather breathtaking at the end when you don't, you know, you need the barrels, but you can't look at the price, and and it, uh, 
it, it, it uh, is very expensive and, and, they, and they don't last very long. Well, they don't, right. And yeah. you're only getting 25 cases produced out of That's one right. oak barrel. That's right. So when you take a look at it from a global perspective and what it costs to actually produce a really great glass of wine, there's so many variable factor, factors that right. go into it. Because the other part of the factor, Gary, when you mentioned the time factor, if you, you don't get to use them for very long, that's a new use barrel, but you don't use 100% new oak on all of your wines. No. Um, that, that, I feel, is a little heavy-handed. <laughs> I, I, I think on the barrel-fermented portion of the reserve wines, it's 100% new oak. But if you put too much oak in, if the grapes can't handle it, it's, it's a disaster. Um, because it just hardens the wine out. and uh, But it's generally either new or once used. Mm-hmm. So after that, it's they pretty much go to somebody else. And so, so the finance part is really important to you, being a small winery, that you're choosing what you're going to have for your next vintage well ahead of getting your or order in early. So this would be like your early order? This yeah, this, is, this yeah. is the pre-order barrel ordering time. And, yeah. and uh, we're uh, going off uh, on a wine trip for our wine club um, <laughs> in Bordeaux in a couple weeks. So I have to do everything and be here because we're not coming back till the middle of April. And then the door will have closed on some of those decisions. So... Yeah, it's it's always something. You can't let the paper pile get too high in front of you, otherwise <laughs> it just it just doesn't work out. Well, one of the other things we like to do too is use neutral oak on our white wine program. So those are older oak barrels used many many times. Um, we'd rather age our our Chardonnay and our Viognier in those barrels. Um, so we get some nice creaminess that will develop mm-hmm. by using oak to age but it's not going to overpower the flavor of the fruit by using brand new oak totally makes sense yeah so let's back up for a second because we didn't cover this part for our listeners where does the fortunati name come from great question (laughs) marcia i'll I'll let ellen answer this (laughs) even though it was my idea it was it was your idea honey this is what a good husband and wife team does they go back and forth absolutely (laughs) absolutely so many many years ago when we, we met when we were in college, Gary was such a wine geek, he would literally stop at a wine shop, buy a bottle, leave it in a brown paper bag, and he would come <laughs> over to pick me up to go out on a date. But before we'd leave, he'd open the wine bottle and pour me a glass, and he would say to me, okay, tell me what wine this is. Can oh you my smell? Can you taste? What varietal do you think it is? And... Needless to say, after all these years, we are still on our, our, our wine adventure. Just <laughs> so long story short, where did the name come from <clears throat> after we moved here? And many, many stories about how we got here. But uh, we bought this piece of undeveloped land in Napa Valley, cleared mm-hmm. it, uh, planted our vineyard, which was quite a quite a effort in and of itself. We were sitting out in the back steps one day and he said well honey what do you want to name your vineyard and I thought <laughs> mm, why would we name a vineyard you know, it just, hadn't crossed your mind <laughs> it's a collection of plants and he said well come on sweetheart people name their boats they name their dogs you gotta name your vineyard something 
So of course now it's a marketing challenge, which I love. And so after obviously several glasses of uh, wine uh, and some creative uh, sessions, he said to me, well, what's lucky in Italian? Because his nickname is uh, Lucky. His last name is Lucktel and... Um, Lucky Lucktel. Lucky Lucktel. There you go. That's it. And the not sounds like something the, right out of a Damon yeah, Runyon yeah, story, yeah. you know. <laughs> not not always true, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but 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 uh, you've been pretty lucky. So uh, the Italian connection came because I'm a first generation. My father was born in Germany, and my mother was born in Italy, and my mother spoke Italian to us growing up as children. So I said Fortunato with an O at mm-hmm. the end because he was referring to himself and. He thought that was just a fun, wonderful, fanciful name. And I liked it, but I didn't like it with the O at the end because that's singular and masculine. Yes. And um, <laughs> we still to this day laugh about it. So we pluralized it, encompassing both genders. So today we feel very fortunati to be sharing our small boutique wines with people across the country. Very so, cool. yeah, absolutely. And um, our wines, and this was a really specific um, decision that we. We intended that people would enjoy our wines the way we do. Um, we've obviously been tasting a lot of wines over the years and been to a number of different countries tasting wines. And and we just thought, you know, great bottle of wine, really full of flavor. doesn't have to be super expensive. Um, it uh, could also be an exceptional value. So today we make a number of different varietals. That's what we're known for, the diversity of the um, offerings that we have. And um, we only offer our wines direct to consumer. So we ship our wines to various customers across the country. um, And we can offer exceptional values because we don't distribute through normal channels. So let's make sure people know right up front they can order online at fortunativineyards.com. Yeah, real easy to find. Yeah. So uh, 10 different varieties right now, 10 different wines. Mm Um, that you have available right now, uh, and as you said, there are, you said you know wine is can be available at a really good value, but they're very beautifully elegant. You have these gorgeous um, matte black labels with this beautiful gold lettering and gold border uh, and capsule. Um, so I take it. That was something that you developed as part of your background in marketing and packaging was a certain look that you wanted to have. Well, absolutely. Once we named the vineyard, um, we actually sold 100% of our fruit for a number of years to Mm -hmm. other wineries. So even to this day, we have a number of what we call our um, winery clients that Mm -hmm. produce uh, wines from our our grapes. but after doing that for a few years and I was doing some um, business development from some others in the valley, I, I was looking out my window and looking in my backyard, literally, at, mm-hmm. at a beautiful vineyard. I'm growing all kinds of fruit and I have a husband who's a winemaker and I thought, well, wouldn't it be fun just to have an estate label, you know, just off of a few of the, of the grapes that we grow here. And so um, we, at that point, uh, started the Fortunati brand and of course needed to start the branding process. And the first thing to do was develop a logo and label and the, uh, uh, you know, the, the vision behind it was to have it be simple and elegant. So today I think we've hopefully achieved that. Absolutely. It's absolutely been captured. Yeah. 
You know, what's kind of interesting is that neither of you are from, from Napa Valley families. You didn't grow up in the wine biz, right? No. No. Uh, no. I, <coughs> Gary, how about you? <laughs> no, I grew up in uh, western Iowa, and that is about as far away from the wine business as you can get. <laughs> may, may, maybe, North, may, maybe North Dakota is a, is a first place, but... Um, but I did grow up, both of my grandparents were farmers, but, you know, they certainly didn't know anything about growing fruit. They grew, you know, ag- other agricultural products, beans and corn and so, so on and so forth. Um, but I've always been more of a country guy than, than a city guy at heart. And um, after high school, I lived in Europe for a couple of years um, and traveled all around and goofed off, lived in a bottom of a backpack and it was it was good while the getting was good, but I had to get a little more serious. So um, I came out to San Francisco and went to school here, and um, out of pure necessity, lived in the city because that's where the money is. And um, uh, it's it's this is not the kind of business that unless you've been given vineyard land by you know your past generations that you're just going to walk into bootstrapping it i mean you've got to get some money somewhere to start to say hello to you know a million dollars to put your flag down um you know you're hearkening to the old saying yeah yeah Yeah, what's it take to start a winery Mm -hmm. you know uh you know millions of dollars that you know to start a small winery even more Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah no I'm, i'm not from here but i've been living in the bay area since 1980 so i kind of feel you know, when I look at that number, I'm going, wow, that's 40 years. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, I think it's a combination of Gary's uh, uh, ancestry in the in the heart of the Midwest in farming. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, I have a little different uh, road here. We, um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, having European parents, you know, wine wasn't forbidden at the dinner table, but... Granted, it was more of having a little glass of wine, you know, with a with your with a good meal. Mm-hmm. Um, yet, um, I was born in Ohio, and my parents, being very tired of the winter weather, uh, decided to move to Southern California after uh, checking out some sunny areas within the United States, and decided uh, the nice dry heat there was was a place to go. So. I was in junior high when we moved to San Diego and I thought I had just won the lottery <laughs> <laughs> since we moved to uh, a beautiful area close to uh, one of the most beautiful beaches down in that area as well. So I grew up a Southern California girl from that point on and, um, you know, uh, came up to the Bay Area to, to continue my college education. And that's when I met Gary and, and my older sister just got married and she lived in Sonoma. She lived up on uh, Trinity road mm-hmm. up above Glen Ellen. Okay. And, um, she worked for the Christian brother school, um, at the time. So she knew, uh, you know, brother Timothy in the, in the, the group. And I remember tours and tastings up at, uh, the Christian brothers oh, wow. winery. Yeah. It was going really, way back. Yeah. Going way back. Yeah. Way, way back. And so we used to come up in the weekends and, spend time with the two of them and wine taste all over Napa and Sonoma and, and just, you know, enjoyed, really enjoyed the wine adventure, um, from the consumer standpoint. Okay. 
Um, and I would take short tours of the little tiny wineries that were open at that time. And Gary would wait for me. He would go straight into the tasting bar and, and wait for me to come <laughs> back. And, and then he would already have tasted through all the different wines that these wineries were offering at the time and, and would just focus on the better Mm-hmm. better made, well-balanced wines. And again, there I was trying to guess what they were. <laughs> so, so yeah. You and then, guess very well, though. I know that for a fact. Yeah. Thank you, Marcia. So. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> years of training. Years, years and years of training. And yeah. I know you. you yeah. Well, we took that on the road. Palate, all those well, years. Yeah. Now, well, we even on a student yeah. budget in the summertime, we, we started wine tasting the back roads of Europe. So, um, not backpacking cause that wasn't my deal, but, um, but in the little, uh, country roads right. and little, you know, the little, uh, inns, um, just wandering around exploring. It was really quite the adventure. So you both had different businesses when you lived in the city and you did these day trips and so forth coming up here. What was it that made you finally go, we're making the leap to Napa? It was, I was in the commercial real estate business um, in San Francisco, leasing and sales, um, and I had already started a brand in 1999. I was a home winemaker in San Francisco. I'd come up here, uh, offer the farmers cash, bring uh, bring my stemmer crusher up to their fields, and uh, we could make wine and put it in the fermenters and bring it back down to San Francisco. So it was always a bit of a hobby and a dream for me. And the part where it became a real business was, uh, I'm going to date myself here, but in 1995 through 2002, there was a thing called the dot-com craze, the boom and, and, and then the bust. And it, it, was, it was a fun ride. It was an extremely fun ride, but when it came to an end, I, I just didn't want to do it anymore. And I was 42 years old and um, decided that I'm I'm not going to do this anymore. And uh, my Alan looks at me like I'm completely nuts. Everyone thought I was crazy, <laughs> um, but I just I just couldn't. My my heart was no longer in the business, and I didn't really care about it that much anymore. And but I did like winemaking, and I liked. Uh, farming. I liked coming up here and I didn't like the problems in San Francisco. I just got tired of it at a young age, I guess. And um, so we, you know, we bought this 10 acre parcel and scraped it and I've been working on it every, ever since. Well, okay. Thanks for that, honey. I, uh, <laughs> I remember it a little <laughs> bit more <laughs> positively where, um, from uh, the time that we were adventure around doing a lot of wine tastings, um, the stories and the fun and the adventure of all the uh, home winemaking projects was 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 really unique. Um, you know, even neighbors were wondering what was smelling, <laughs> you know, <laughs> out of the garage. <laughs> what are you concocting in there? Well, it was obviously wine fermenting. But, um, you know, the it was... The garage east life. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so... Um, so, so, you know, many stories with friends coming to help us pick, um, second crop, 
mm-hmm. um, you know, in the in some of these premier vineyards in Napa Valley, where friends of ours were assistant winemakers at the time at some some very well known wineries up in on Highway Twenty Nine, and we'd invite the friends up from San Francisco and get in the vineyard and pick all these yeah. teeny Ter- tiny little Ter- clusters. Terrible workers. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 terrible workers. We we finally figured out that it was cheaper just to buy the grapes. <laughs> And then pay our friends in in food and beer and you know entertain them, entertain them yeah. for the day. That <laughs> to, would to take get them to get, help us pick pick a thousand pounds of grapes. Yeah. And it was ten people, and it was like well, you but know. it was fun. It was fun. <laughs> it, it was a lot of. It fun. It was a lot of fun. I took a lot of pictures. Yeah, made you, yeah. made you know made up the picnic lunches and and then as Gary mentioned earlier, bought a lot of home wine making equipment so we could um, we could crush the fruit and you know start the whole process. Um, that of course, you know, led to, um, people wanting to, who got involved, wanted a picture or two or a picture or two, a bottle or two of, um, the wines that we were producing and they wanted in, they wanted to be part of the, part of the dream. And so, um, from that whole adventure, um, we thought, well, wouldn't it be fun to actually own a little parcel of land in Napa Valley and grow a few grapes and, so by the end of the 99 decade, we were looking for part for property up here. And, you know, it doesn't seem like that long ago, 20 years ago, but it was very, very different than it is today. <laughs> it's changed a lot. Yeah, little. it really has. So the seed was planted and the race was on to find just the right place oh, to go. Yeah, we looked all over. We looked from Calistoga to Carneros and yeah. we drove the you know, the real estate people crazy. And, and <laughs> sure me we being did. an ex, or, well, it, me being, you know, so in the real estate business, I was very conscientious about wasting people's time. And um, so I would always give them a couple bottles of wine after they'd take me out for the day to just, because I knew. Our homemade it, wine. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, it's, uh, it's, it's not how you find property in Napa Valley anyway. It's rarely does it go on the market. And when it does, it's usually... Um, I mean, the, all the parcels around us have been sold. They didn't really go on the market. And um, it's friends of friends. And you pick up the phone and say, hey, do you, are you looking for some more land? And yes or no. And yeah. Well, we yeah, did. I mean, I think the one of the reasons we settled here in the Oak Knoll District, at the time, it was not named the Oak Knoll District. It was um, still not recognized. And, and we don't even realize that now. I know. We think like, oh, it's been Oak Knoll forever. No. Never know. No, it's 2004. Happened. Thanks to Janet Trefethen worked really hard on getting that done. Um, but, you know, we looked in Carneros and um, we just thought it was a little bit too cool for us, um, mm-hmm. you know, and we we're really limited in the kind of varietals that we'd be able to yeah, go I mean, down the, there. The, the prices were much better, but it was very rural. And um, at, at least where we are now, Sure, downtown Napa, the way it is now, didn't exist. It no. was still full of um, a bunch of shops, and the, before the river was fixed, um, and it was flooding every mm-hmm. you know seven or eight That's years, right. and everyone's business would just be shut down. It, it was it was a disaster, and you know all that has changed now. So you know the center of the valley just keeps, you know, from St. Helena <laughs> to Yountville. And, you know, and, now, and Napa. now it's, you know, people are saying it's downtown Napa. I don't necessarily agree with that, but it certainly can be somewhere between Yountville and downtown Napa, which is, 
shocking for yeah. for where we were 20 years ago. Um, but regardless, the entire valley is just beautiful. You know, we loved Los Carneros, but again, we we looked as far north as Calistoga. We just thought it was just too far for us to um, travel from San Francisco. So here in the Oak Knoll, there was still some parcels available on the valley floor, and um, we found it through a vineyard management company we had been buying fruit from for um, our brother brand, our first brand that we had started, mm-hmm. and um, Gary negotiated directly with our trust attorney, and before we knew it, we <laughs> we owned the piece proud owners of this piece proud of land. Junk cars. Fr- <laughs> yeah, it was it was very it was still very rural. Rural. Our friends thought we were completely insane. Well, it had I, never been planted. I yeah, mean, you know, you're gonna, which you, is shocking. Yeah, you know. spent how much for yeah. this? Well, I, yeah, exactly. Well, for us, I like to call us the modern day version of um, uh, the TV show Green Acres. Oh, absolutely. This is we used Green to Acres, live, 100% We used Green to Acres. live in a high rise apartment building with a doorman in San Francisco to literally Green Acres. Right. <laughs> so, oh, my goodness. So when, when am I going to see the poster? You no know, kidding, with right? the pitchfork yeah. in the hand and Absolutely. the whole thing. That's a great idea. Thank you, Marsha. <laughs> So, I'll help you work on that. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Thank you. I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Particularly now that you have this new, We've, beautiful yeah. tasting room, yeah. and yeah. we actually have some of your wines here. We should. We should. You know, we should talk a little bit about the wines. Well, what, what would you like? What would oh, you like to the, it's entirely your choice on yeah. this. You got it all out, but it's entirely your choice so, what you want to look at. But just to kind of reiterate, we make ten different dry wines yeah. and a dessert wine, a port style dessert mm-hmm. wine. Um, and we're actually known for our diversity. So that is one of the things when yeah. guests come here. Small lots. We can pretty much make you know everyone happy with mm-hmm. finding something that they absolutely love. Mm-hmm. Our lots are teeny tiny, anywhere from four barrels to about 10 barrels of each wine. Mm-hmm. So about 100 to 250 right. cases of each. We make a little more of the heavier reds because of their aging potential. But um, I think we should definitely taste a wine or two. <laughs> You guys pick yeah. something. St- start, Who wants start, to grab start. something and pour? I think. Oh, okay. All right. We'll t- we'll we'll take a pouring break. So don't go anywhere, folks. All right. Wine glasses are now poured, and yes. in front of us, in the, with this beautiful, pale pink salmon colored, perfect rosé color, is the 2019. Is it the 2019? 2019. 2019 Pranzo Estate Rosé. From your vineyard right here in the Oak Nail District. So let's 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 sniff, let's swirl, let's sip and speak I mean, about it. It has this kind of raspberry rhubarb jolly rancher watermelon um uh, nose and oh, flavors. Wow. And um I if, if I wanted to make a rose, but I didn't like the the bleed method it just it just no sanye for you no sanye for me i i I, you know my my telephone number's in the back of every bottle okay so So are you a are you a a whole cluster i i I actually have rows that i grow specifically for rosé it's pruned for rosé it's watered for rosé it's own it's it's its own thing and it is uh syrah and um, and I pick it. It's at you know twenty twenty one bricks. So you're ended up at twelve and a half to 
13%. I like to keep it under 13. It's usually 12.5 to 12.8 alcohol. And the acid is, is very high. And the a lot of flavor is just incredibly um, fresh and crisp. It sure it, is. It, um, it's whole cluster pressed. And it was so funny because when you only do something once a year, unless you write it down and go back and look at it, <laughs> You forget it completely. I don't care what it is. It's a hard part. It's a hard part of this. Yeah. One of many hard parts yeah. of this business. Exactly. And so it's like, what was that press cycle that I really liked? Because it's the same row of grapes every year. Mm-hmm. So, it sh- there should be a continuity there, and 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 I was bouncing around, and finally that we're making uh, the wine where we are. Uh, they have the same press every year and it just became so much easier so the press cycle is very important but it is stainless steel fermented extremely cold it takes 60 days to go dry and i think that's the 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 key you know it just moves a half a brick a day just low slow very cold and um it's stainless steel there's nothing secretive about this uh, making wine like this it just starts with really good grapes that you have to grow specifically to make rosé Everybody says, oh, I do this, I do that. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you need to use, you can make it out of other varietals, but it's it's hard. Um, you know, Grenache, Mouved, Syrah, those classic Rhone varietals um, from Provence um, yeah. make, you know, I've, I've trust me, I've done the other way and it's, it's hard. And it's really, really hard to justify taking expensive Napa Valley land and grow rosé out of it. But but yeah. fortunately, but consumers <laughs> are buying a lot more rosé now, too, they because are. it's bone dry. They are, absolutely. This this rosé of Syrah is bone dry. And, um, you know, funny you bring that up, Marsha, because we've been making rosé for over 10 years. Seriously, it was one of, it was our, one of our very first wines in, our, in the Fortunati lineup. And it was after a trip. So after we moved here from San Francisco full-time, we realized really early on in the wintertime, it's really quiet and sleepy, right? Mm-hmm. Well, think about it. It's winter, so the vines are dormant. There's nothing happening in the vineyard. doesn't need you. The mm-hmm. um, You're done with h- harvest and, and winemaking right. from the most recent harvest in the, in the winery. And now, after the holidays are over, uh, everyone's in the gym with their New Year's resolution on January 1st. So January, February, it's pretty quiet. So we decided to start traveling to south of the equator to parts of the world we'd never been wine tasting before and early on in 2005 we found ourselves in southeast australia in shiraz country Mm -hmm. and i came across some dry rosés that the australians are making and just fell in love (laughs) yeah the the australians would take their younger vines and um I, I, i in tasting those rosés i don't think that they were using the sanji method I think uh, they're using the whole cluster. But I, I think that is the, a, a big point of the difference. I've tried the other way. And you can make wine, really good wine the other way, but it's extremely difficult. It's adding acid and adding water and the reverse osmosis, all the water back down to get the alcohol right. And, it's, <laughs> and it, rosés it's are just, hard it, to make. So yeah, it's, they it's, are. It, well, it, you know, yeah. to his point. And, no, because and, you're, you're taking an inferior product and trying to turn it into something else. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, I mean, the, what what I do with that bleed, it goes into this big tank. We call it the tank in the sky. 
Yeah, and, and just cause I don't I don't want to see this stuff because it's just nothing but a nuisance. If I'm getting rid of, you know, five or ten percent of my Zinfandel or Cabernet or Syrah, I don't want it hanging around to try to make something else out of it because you're forgetting things during harvest. It's just if if you if you own a vineyard, you can pull this off. Um, if you don't own a vineyard, it's pretty difficult. Yeah. But, so needless to say, we came home from that trip. I begged him to make me rosé. I'm not a true story. Absolutely begged, begged, begged him. And finally, um, the very first vintage, he made about 25 cases. The next one was 50. The next one was 100. The next one was 150. And I tell you today, I can't keep it in stock. I don't even pour it it's a any favorite. longer. Yeah. You know, yeah. At, at your um, family picnics that you've right. held here in yeah. many years past yeah. the private picnics right. that are just celebration yeah um i just i just kind of gulped yeah. the stuff down yeah it's it's yeah. definitely <laughs> a, a summer sipper it's, a quaffer it's, it's, no it's yeah. a gulper yeah yeah <laughs> yeah well anyway yeah, yeah so you, you you end up with they say well how many cases you're going to make and you say well i don't know how many tons i'm going to get off this row or whatever you know this year it's 200 cases that's it, this is gone yeah quickly so i and popular with your club members yeah and, and oh, so very. yeah so we're, we're we'll double production next year yeah so, here you uh, go well no because uh-huh. i have two rows now instead of one so, <laughs> and, and, but, well but, it, it but, sells out in the middle of the summertime yeah yeah i've actually put there a limit go. on it and what people can buy at this point because oh. it just sells out so, so everybody quickly. gets their little yeah. their yeah yeah, 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 exactly. could you, yeah you can imagine putting a so, limit on a rosé i know that's, i know it sounds so silly and Ellen, I actually put a limit on our reserve cab as well. I'm just going to throw that in there. There you go. <laughs> because uh, well, again, that sells equally as quickly. Small lot. Right. Exactly. And, and and since you have so many different offerings right. with a bunch of different styles, in other words, this right. is a Provence style rosé, right. but you also do Napa Valley Classic Cabernet, yeah. Bordeaux. So we you've do. got we styles from different, and we, we want to talk about those. some of those as well. But before we get there, I wanted to ask Ellen, what do you what do you like food wise? What do you what's what's like your go to thing that you like to make and have with the rose? Oh God, I just love to sip this. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs to I, eat? I, corn flakes. <laughs> <Just> kidding. <laughs> corn flakes. <laughs> okay, new pairing, folks. <clears throat> no, no. Uh, I was going to say lots brunch. of things. It's Sunday it's brunch lunch. is wonderful. Lunch brunch, is lunch, yeah. It, absolutely. You, salad. You, salads. Um, you could do everything from a quiche Lorraine to yeah. salads yeah. to mm-hmm. salmon to mm-hmm. brie and triple creme. Absolutely. And, yeah. yeah. Salmon and it's it's it, To me, it's, it's weather. Uh, it's a weather bagel. Um, related wine. And like today is warm. I'll have a little bit of rosé. Tomorrow is going to be colder. I That's probably right. won't drink any. There you go. But. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we also make two uh, really nice white wines, um, and I think um, we should probably taste through the Viognier. But before we do that, uh, we do make a neutral oak Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lovely Chardonnays in Napa Valley available. Ours is slightly different because it is neutral oaked. Um, not a lot of um, uh, oakiness. Yeah. So um, I'll tell you, one of the things that people say when they come here and visit us that are, is prevalent when is, wow, I loved all your wines. Like they're well balanced, they're well made. And I can't remember ever saying that going to mm-hmm. um, other wineries where I've loved all the different wines. Yeah. And there's 10. And, yeah. And the so second one, yeah. the comment that we yeah, get. Tell me about it. There's 10. 
the second comment we get is, I don't usually like rosé uh, chardonnay. I don't usually taste chardonnay, but I like yours. And um, I start by saying, well, this is not your mother's chardonnay. <laughs> <laughs> This is Styles styles change in trends and trends, um, you know, are are develop over the years. And so they do in food and wine as well. So um, let's move on to the Viognier. And that is also an estate wine. The the, the Viognier, (coughs) excuse me, is uh, we have one acre of Viognier. And there's just not a lot of it planted in Napa Valley um, not because it's not great wine. I think from a grower's perspective, um, it, it just doesn't make sense because you'll get, you know, three tons per acre one year and four tons the next. It's just, it's just not consistent. The yields are up and down. And, and it, it is it, the price of Viognier is almost twice of what Sauvignon Blanc is for the oh grapes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's, it's definitely one of the highest-priced grapes. And I don't know if that's because there's a great demand or just, I, I, I don't know. But I've always liked Viognier. And so this Viognier, we pick um, whole cluster ferment, or I'm sorry, whole cluster press and uh, let it settle in a tank and then put it into another tank and start fermentation very cold. Um, once fermentation is about 25% done, meaning it's going, then we go to neutral barrels and maybe 25% stainless steel barrels. And we do the lees stirring. We do all the uh, normal techniques that you would think you would do to a Chardonnay, uh, but we bottle it a little earlier. So it's it's bottled in the the spring of the next year, spring to early summer of the next Mm -hmm. year. Whereas uh, the, some of the other uh, Chardonnays are done in as late as you can before the next harvest. Um, it's very floral. Um, it has these wonderful peach, apricot. White um, peach. Uh, mango. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd I mean, say it's one of the most aromatic mm-hmm. Viognier's I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I've had your Viognier for... 10 years, yeah. however long you've been yeah. making it. Yeah. And it's always stood out to me as one of the most, and you've also won a lot of awards for this Viognier. We have. A lot of double golds. And we have. So forth. We have. We have. We've actually won a lot of awards on many of our wines. I don't typically talk about it because typically it, our, our philosophy is, is if you like the wine, fantastic. If you don't, right. that's okay. It's, it's about your palate. It's not about what a wine judge or a, a wine critic says about a wine you know, you have to love the wine. And I love our Viognier. I really, really it's do. It's really stunning. Yeah, well, thank you, thank you. The, the big um, difference is, you know, in these awards is when you're selling direct to consumer, it doesn't matter if it got 90, whatever, how many points from Parker, the wine spectator, because these people are tasting the wines, and if they like it, and it works from their budget, they're going to buy it. And that's, right. that's what's made us so successful is a large variety of wines well-made at fair prices. And it's really easy to tell if people, if the wine's not right. Because guess what? They're not buying it. It doesn't matter what the shelf talker says or, <laughs> exactly. says or the wine guy says because we don't sell to restaurants 
wine no. shops. Oh, and you Lunch don't sell room. the wine shops. No. So there's no shelf no, talk. Or there is no shelf talk. I mean, don't misunderstand us. We love the fact that we've gotten, you know, wonderful awards and wonderful point scores. But what really drives us and what makes our heart tick is mm-hmm. when we get the kudos from our customers. Yeah. We had a customer, we had a, some customers here just this past weekend who had come back and and um, and he reminded me this was his fourth or fifth trip trip back to oh see my us. God. I That's know, so nice. I know, it was, and just the the comments and the kudos um, that they talked about us and the wines just really, really warmed our heart. It's why we do what we do, and I love that part of the business. Love, love, love meeting people from all over the country who come to wine country and get a little glimpse of what our life is like. And you know, again, we didn't grow up on this. This right. wasn't something we inherited. This is all sweat equity. This is something that we built together and which makes it all that much more sweet. So the fact that we can, you know, make a good bottle of wine, put it in a bottle for a fair price and share it with family and friends across across the country is truly, truly rewarding to us. And you have friends that you have made by doing all of this all the way across the country, which is kind of cool. It is cool. And one of the things that our listeners probably don't know is you know, when you first started, you you told the story that you had a partner before and you were doing some partner wine and, and you've since changed that model. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now you've got a club that you've developed over the years. And I do want to talk mm-hmm. about the club a sure. little bit more. But originally you had a tasting room in downtown Napa for a while and you led a lot of the tastings yourself, I Ellen. Did. I did. But now you have built this beautiful facility here and now your club members can also enjoy by coming here Absolutely. to this we- tasting room. So let's talk about the club and sure. and you were talking about your you know, somebody would come back for the fourth time. Right. So we 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 said this is the next logical step for us to build a small winery on property and because we we qualify that we have over 10 acres on the Napa Valley, in the Napa Valley. Um, we were able to do that. So, uh, and in addition to that, we have obviously tastings that we host on property that are all private by appointment. Um, and we're, we're really for people who are looking for that small boutique winery experience for wines they can't get at home uh, in their, in their wine shop or in their restaurant or obviously in their grocery store. Um, so, and it's just really a, a kind of a nice little look in what it, it, it it feels like to live and work in in the wine country. Um, we're real people. We get up every day and early. And you get up early. I we know. We do. We do. As Gary reminded me when we first moved here from San Francisco, because I was quite the city girl. Even our friends, many friends, looked at me and said, "How are you going to make the transition? You are such a city girl." Uber. S- <laughs> there was no Uber back. There was then. no Uber back then. No, when you there moved was up no here. Uber back then. But he used to tease me early in the morning, and he would say, "Rise and shine. Morning comes early in the country." <laughs> <laughs> and I was never a, a early morning person. I am now. I sort of transitioned into the lifestyle. But um, <clears throat> but no. So we we felt that this was the next logical step for us to build this little building and and um, and be able to host customers here where. They can enjoy our, our wines and, of course, enjoy it through our, our what's unique is a wine subscription program. It's not a regular club because they get to pick whatever they want in their mix. Um, and we only ship out twice a year in the spring and the fall. Um, and we're not one of those places where, you know, we are insistent that they have to take a shipment every time. And the reason for that is because our, our wine club is fully allocated. I mean, literally, we do sell out all of our wines every single right. year. So if, you know, if customers want to skip a shipment, we're fine with that. 
because there's other people that, that <laughs> will want it. That will exactly, exactly. I can't even remember if you told me this uh, on air or off the air in between one of our little changes here where we're pouring the wine was that your rosé is sold out by midsummer. Oh, all of our wines are. <laughs> so. I, like I mentioned, all of our wines are. We, um, we, I do keep all the wines on our list, so when clients do come, that they can see the variety mm-hmm. of wines uh, that we offer and the and the, the depth of wines. Yeah. But, um, you know, but but we have this wonderful problem that we sell out regularly. Yeah. Yeah. Every, you know, that is that is the the holy grail in the wine business is selling out of your vintages before you have the next one in your production and, and yeah. uh, doing that. And speaking of that, then I should mention, like any business, inventory management it's is huge. a huge, huge thing. It's huge. So you have uh, 10 acres, 10 plus acres mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. Um, that are your estate vineyard that Gary planted with help, not yeah. every <laughs> single vine himself. Uh, but uh, Gary, yeah. Gary did quite a lot of it because I know every time I've been here, you know, I haven't really told everybody this, but Ellen and I go way back because, of course, Ellen is a Wine Women f- co-founder. Oh, okay. uh, so that's, that, that there you go. That explains <laughs> the whole thing back there. Right. Uh, but So we've spent our time here at Fortunati Vineyards, uh, even before you were able to open up your tasting room doors to the public, uh, learning about what you had to offer as you were becoming more and more public. And Gary was always the one... Going in and out to the vineyards. Well, it's it, your favorite it, place, I yes. think. Well, yeah. <coughs> That's okay. Excuse I know. Me. Very much so. Everybody he has lo- to know that allergy season is uh, in yeah, full throws here in Napa exactly. Valley since it's so warm. Uh, my, the, the, there's, there's several favorite places. Yes, vineyard is, I mean, one of them, and and the winery and the winemaking is 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 the other place that is. Um, you know, you're always learning something out out in these, in the winery and in the the vineyards and um, all. Not all our grapes come from this vineyard, and and you, you yeah, you you've got to stay busy. I mean, it's a division of labor. I I make sure that the grapes get grown. It goes into a bottle. The labels on right. <laughs> and the cork gets okay, put I'm going to interrupt you. And, and, and then and then I put Maybe it in the not. warehouse, and then I'm done. <laughs> okay, and, and, and hang on, hang on. So I've got the easy job. We like we like to call it a division of labor here, <laughs> right? So he grows the grapes, and makes the wine. So he, uh, don't forget to put in the bottle. Thing. And he yes. bottles it, so he fills the warehouse, and then I take over. That's right, <laughs> yeah. and I do everything else. That's but right, it, and that's a big one too. <laughs> Absolutely, it, it was. Yeah, it, it's 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 fun making a lot of different varietals. Sure, it's not easy. Um, because you have to find really good vineyards, but if we're not making a state wine, yeah. so which we're going to move on and, yeah, and we taste should. the next wine. But before we do, I just want to briefly talk about our Pinot Noir. Please. It's the only fruit that we um, source out of Napa Valley. Mm. Um, we've we've sourced a number of different wines from um, all over the uh, California coastline, um, and currently in our lineup is we have a beautiful Pinot from Santa Rita Hills. Um, that is just stunning. Um, and you know, as you know, it's really difficult to find Pinot Noir in, in Napa Valley. Um, but I'll tell you, I, I, I love pouring it for clients and I love, 
how it pairs so yeah. well with all kinds of diverse foods. It so. sure does. Yeah. It, Keep yeah. going. Yeah, you you yeah. had a thought, and I didn't want to interrupt yeah. you, but I was going to say, uh, you know, you were saying you don't find a whole lot of Pinot Noir here in the valley floor in Napa Valley, mm-hmm. uh, temperature and climate. Right. Gary, I'm very curious with climate change. You've been growing here now for almost a couple of decades, kind of, sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you got any broad brush strokes you want to comment in terms of climate change and Napa Valley and what you're feeling and um, what shifts you might see ahead? You know, it, it's it's hard. To, I'm not going to sit here and deny climate change. That would be completely stupid. Thank you. Um, no, it's true. It, it's, it changes faster in certain places than here um, because ours is basically an ocean-based climate, which doesn't change the temperature that much. You get a little bit away from the ocean, mm-hmm. and it's certainly different. I've been to northern Italy, and it's very different there when it was 10 years ago. Wow. Um, but in, in saying that, here in, in Napa, yes, it's getting warmer. Um, but, but by just tiny kinda, degrees, you, well, tiny tens, well, hundreds of degrees yeah, it's, or it's, something. It's, it's, it's a lot of things. You have a, a strange year like this in February where you had zero rain. February is the number one rain month. And for people who don't live in California, it only rains five months out of the year. And about three of those are big months. And if you're getting 30 inches of rain a year and your biggest month gets zero, I mean, we're right back into drought situation now. So yeah. it, it, we have bud break early. Yes, it's, it, it's, it, every year is different. You just have to prepare for it. Um, I can't change the weather, um, but I can change my pruning techniques, my watering techniques, mm-hmm. um, ground cover techniques. Um, but um, anyway, what, so what, 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 was, well, what was the question? Okay, that, that, was a, that, that was just very interesting. We were actually talking recently with some winemakers from Bordeaux, and they said the big oh. difference for them was um, they used to do a lot of leafing, mm-hmm. and there's no leafing anymore. And yeah. they're from, you know, most mm-hmm. of them were from mm-hmm. Old Medoc. Sure. Um, and because of that, they were saying that was the that was one of the big changes in farming technique. Yes, it, it, and, and, and it's it's true. You have to worry about the burn. Um, our rows run north south, and the morning sun you pick, you just strip the leaves, but the afternoon side, you got to let them all hang. And every time that I've pulled those leaves. Um, I've paid the price, and 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 you just you just basically stop. And um, I was at a, a really wonderful dinner, a Bordeaux dinner with uh, um, I'm going to butcher the name of the winery, Pinot Quinet, and um, it was Bordeaux uh, mm-hmm. super high end, Alfred Tesseron, and he said in his uh, English with a very heavy French accent. Um, global warming is bad for the earth, but it is very good for Cabernet. <laughs> <laughs> now, Love it. Yeah, it was it was it was it was funny but serious. And anyway, it it um, I, I I I put where you grow grapes based on soil types, not the temperature as much. Okay. And I think that the soil types aren't going to change. The temperature can change all at once, but 
Well, soil tapes, types changing requires millenniums, like billion, millions and billions yeah. of years to dramatically change. Yeah, the dinosaurs would have to come yeah. back, I think, right. before we would have... Uh, we so, won't be here then. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, people say, why did you plant Syrah here and, and, and almost no Cabernet? I said, because the soils. I said, you know, what, what grows well here? And there's sure there's a temperature is, is probably one of the major components, but the soils are, you know, really, really important. Um, and so, so what's in our glass right yeah. now? So, so what's, what's in the glass is a, a 2017 uh, Syrah. And, and it's I, delicious. I, I, I love um, uh, growing Syrah and making Syrah. So I have a, a couple of rows on, th this is a couple of rows on a different rootstock. Mm -hmm. And it just ripens later, and it basically gets no water um, because it's gone through the hard pan, and it will um, uh, it it will just you, you just don't water this th this uh, rootstock, and um, we take about what I estimate to be five percent of the crop of Viognier, take it whole cluster. Take it in in a picking bin, a big picking bin, and then freeze it down at a friend's place in Napa. Um, oh and goodness. then when they when the Syrah is ready, um, I'll destem it, put it into an open top fermenter, and um, then you want to chill it down. Well, the best way to chill it down is throw an 800 pound ice cube of frozen Viognier stems <laughs> and everything into it, and. <laughs> And I, I just go get it, and I just they it's dump fun it to in watch. Okay, I it's just, really fun I to watch. I love that visual. It, it, yeah. is, it is the largest ice cube of grapes you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> okay. And you just dump it in there, and all of a sudden you watch the temperature yeah. on the tank. It goes from 50 degrees, it goes down to like 40, and it's just so cold. And you know, okay, there's the cold soak. And then after a few days, it's all punched down. I treat Syrah like Pinot Noir, all hand punched down. Well, pneumatic, mm -hmm. you know, you, you, you push an air thing and it goes whoosh and you punch it down. But, or we, uh, anyway, it, it, and you don't rack uh, Syrah a lot. You treat it gently like Pinot Noir and it, it's counterintuitive because Cabernets, you beat up pretty hard. Uh, Pinot Noir is not at all. And Syrah, I don't. You leave it on the lees a long time. You you, you do a completely different winemaking technique. And you want to soften those tannins out. And um, how you soften tannins out with Cabernet is giving it lots of air. Syrah it's, isn't the same way. So um, you get it ripe. Um, and, you know, hang on to your hat because it's, it's fun. Mm. We, we, uh, this, this is pulled off any new oak I do use which is maybe 25%, I pull off the, uh, press the grapes early and mm -hmm. put it into that barrel. And that's 100% new oak. At, and there's still maybe a third of the fermentation to go. And I ferment it in the barrels. And that gives this kind of bacon fat, smoky um, texture that you'll get. But the rest is just, um, you know, pressed off early and goes into neutral barrels. So uh, an observation, first of all, Gary's um, taste, his flavor profile, absolutely, it seems d dead on to me, this, this bacon fat it's kind stunning. of thing. Yeah, this wine but is it's, stunning. But um, it's, it's still got fruity basis to it. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still got acid. It's still got tannin, mm-hmm. but the tannin is not remotely overpowering. Mm-hmm. It's all integrated mm-hmm. with the rest of the wine. And my first impression, before you even started talking about this, was this could age a really long mm. time. And I mean, it's totally drinkable right now, mm-hmm. but I would be fascinated three, five, ten years from now to see how this develops. It's it's still got its beautiful young ruby color to it, but it's also practically opaque. Absolutely, Marsha, <laughs> you couldn't be more correct. Yeah, the, the, uh, a Syrah um, ages better than um, Cabernet. In, in Napa Valley. Interesting. I, I truly believe, if, if, um, if they have the stuffing. Um, and I, I'll tell you, what uh, some of my favorite wines to drink now is some of our older Syrahs. Yeah. No, <laughs> seriously. Oh, my goodness. And, like, they go with just about everything. Oh. I was thinking, this is so mm-hmm. integrated. There's, mm-hmm. like, a million different dishes that Absolutely. I could really comfortably mm-hmm. Uh, pair this yeah. with, including mm-hmm. um, some some big hard cheeses. Yeah, you know you or absolutely. or if you really want to go the stinky cheese direction, you right. could do this with that boise. Right, right, <laughs> right, right, right. And remember that luncheon we had up at uh, up Valley, and we had some older Syrahs. Was we you had to pair that with some um, foie gras? Do you remember? That? Oh my goodness, that oh, would it be was delicious, oh, oh, fantastic. Was... And that and was at Acacia House. Yeah, and we it was a, just some older, older Yeah, but they weren't Syrahs, But no, it's not the point. The point is we're talking about the pairing. Yeah. So, um, anyway. yeah, I just love thinking outside the box with some of these pairings. You know, we didn't talk about the pairing on the Viognier, and I, I just love Viognier with any kind of Asian food. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I can see it with a lot of um, Thai foods. Yeah, absolutely. Um, easily Vietnamese and, and uh, easily a lot of different Chinese dishes. Yeah, and Japanese. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I would I would definitely have the Viognier with a lot of sushi. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I would say overall the um, the, the Syrah is just a no brainer. If you have the ability to age wines, um, you know, try it. And but if you don't have the ability to age wines, people say, "How do I make it go faster?" And I'm like, "Well, there's no time capsule, Billy." <laughs> uh, but, there's uh you, huh. you know you can you can decant it in the mm-hmm. morning absolutely and, and pour it into it doesn't need to be a f- you know five dollar decanter it doesn't matter and just cover it up with a little cellophane so the fruit flies or whatever the bugs don't get in it near right and, th- and then at night pour it back into the bottle and have it for the dinner poor man's decant yeah, yes poor man, and it, right. it's a poor man's aging uh, you know for, I mean, not not everyone has the you know you have to find tricks to make everything yeah. seem a little better but um, nothing beats age like age but uh, all right anyway. we're, we're doing a pass off this is complicated <sighs> you know between the microphones the cables yeah. and so forth and then all the bottles of the wine stretching around these is great but Ellen is pouring us another f- beautiful yeah, so Fortunati wine it, yes this is also an estate wine it's our uh, Malbec this is another one that you guys are have done from the beginning, and and I have known this Malbec for many many years. First of all, it's absolutely inky black. It is. <laughs> I love the color of this wine. So this yeah. is. Um, I just decided to try a little Malbec 
because well, I'm going to jump after, in here. After I was a trip to Argentina, we <clears throat> went to Mendoza, <throat> fell in love with some Malbecs, and thought, well, this, well, we could grow some here, can't is, we? This was before the uh, trip to Argentina, and I had. But oh. we didn't. We didn't graft over until we returned. Right. And so I was. There was an Argentinian when I had the other label. <clears throat> the Sir Lactel was the premium. The Sir Lactel label was the other label. Joint partnership. Um, there was. We had a distributor, and they would. Um, distribute in California, but they had also an import company, and they were doing an Argentinian wine tasting. And this was, oh, we just just barely planted this vineyard, and and he, and and he, one one of the one of the the, 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 the importer said, "Hey, can you put some of the one of these Argentinian winemakers up at your house?" I mean, you know, the Argentinian peso was just in the tank like it is every year. And you know they, they can't afford two hundred dollars a night hotel rooms. So I'm like, well, you can't find a hotel for two hundred dollars a night, even if you. But anyway, so sure, I'll put the guy up. I mean, so we picked him up at Evans at the airport. He had a backpack, and we he stayed in our guest room, and he taught me about Melbeck. And this is what happens when you bring someone into your life who you don't know. Anything about and everything turns out well. It's just one of those magical, magical relationships. Yeah, yeah, it, was a it, magic, was. it was a magical moment. And so, you know, what he, and it was just, it, remember, it was a 2005 or 2007 vintage where it just went on and on and well, it on. It was a seven. It was a seven vintage. It was a seven. It was, it, you're right, it was a 2007 vintage. Mm-hmm. And he told, we went through all these Malbec vineyards and I said, I really like this Malbec. And he said, yeah, this is caught, you know, and it was because it was kind of getting ripe. I didn't know what it, all that stuff meant. But and he, um, he he explained to me how all the different clones and what they have in Argentina and what they have in France and what you should have here in the Napa Valley. Well, right, because yeah. it isn't necessarily going to be the same thing no. Now. here as it is there. No, of course not. And so, you know, I, I, I learned a long time ago, if you want to listen, or if you want to learn something, shut up and listen. And, um, and he talked to me, and he was, and then we went to Argentina. So that was prior to Argentina. <laughs> then trip. we went to Argentina. Then we went to Argentina, and we did get to visit with him there and taste his Unsight. wine. And he Very just completely nice. buffed us out. We were there for like three weeks. We had a great time. <laughs> yeah. So it was after that trip we came back and, and grafted over one row. And then since then, we planted a few rows um, as well. And um, So what's the production on the Malbec? Uh, is oh, it's, God, it's 100 cases. It's, it's tiny know, cases. It's, well, it's, gonna, it's, it's up to 200 now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's because and it we, goes we all to your club more. members. It only goes to club members. Yeah, this is a club member it's, line. If you are into inky black... Dark, black currant, blackberry, black cherry, yeah. black cranberry, mm-hmm. big black wines mm-hmm. are for you. This Malbec is calling out your name, folks. It, yeah, is. I, it, it is usually, I, I obviously ferment it separately, but then I'll start blending in Cabernet, depending upon if what the Cabernet tastes like, and I'll, I'll do blends. I, when we were in Argentina, I learned the best wines I tasted there, in my opinion, were Malbec-based, but they had a little bit of blend. It could be 10% Cabernet, 4% Bernarda, 
which we don't even grow the grape here. Bernardo is not grown yeah, north uh, of the uh, equator. Yeah. Yeah. I, don't, I don't even know what it looks like or tastes <laughs> like. But anyway, I, I just know That's that. It's a little like, uh, Bernardo tastes a little like Grenache. Mm. Okay. Well, they, they would blend it with Cab Franc or Merlot or Cabernet. And I just, I thought the blends were the best, in my opinion. Uh, and so... I've just always tried to blend in to make the Malbec a more complete wine because um, you're all, that's all you're trying to do is is you know pushing the grapes into a space that they become a better flavor in your mouth and uh, you know people call that a winemaker I call it well you're guiding the grapes. How much Malbec is grown in Napa Valley? Do you have do you have like most of it or something with your few rows? No, we we would refer to the grape report. No, the grape report just came out today. I didn't download it, but all right, hit hit the Excel file and you'll find out. Yeah, 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 you you can tell. So we do also make a couple of cabernets. We um, I like to call it our our classic cab, which is our Bordeaux blend. Gary was just talking about blends, and obviously it's it's definitely a wine that we. uh, we ship all over the country. It's mm-hmm. definitely an every night Cabernet, especially for the price point. It is Cabernet based, and we also blend it with our estate Cab Franc mm-hmm. and some estate Malbec. Um, we that do, went into the last one, the Malbec. That, that exactly, the exactly, go. exactly. We also make a what I like to call our signature Cabernet. That's okay. We've been going through a lot of wine. <laughs> It's a cabaret. It's a cabaret day. (laughs) Anyway, keep going. You sing well, Marsha. Anyway, (laughs) another story. So uh, we, uh, our signature cabernet is definitely a quintessential um, wine for the area. We're very proud of it. It Comes from a vineyard, um, also here in the Oaknell district, uh, kind of towards the Oaknell bench, just in the foothills, Mm -hmm. and. it's a rather large vineyard. They only grow grapes there. They don't make any of their own wine. Mm-hmm. Um, they sell to a number of different uh, pretty well-known Cabernet producers. So we're really happy to be able to get our little block. You of, get your bit. Yeah, we get our little nice. block of grapes from there. Absolutely. Um, and then, of course, our reserve Cabernet is definitely a crowd pleaser. Um, and I'm, I'm, I was quite surprised that earlier this year I had to uh, start putting a limit on it because it was selling so quickly. And... You know, Good the reserve. You. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know, I'll, I'm going to defer this back to the winemaker, but we don't have a 17 for a reason. Um, so um, our next reserve will be the 18 vintage. Um, yeah, there's what, always what, reasons. What, what you, well, why we didn't have a... a the, the How I start the base of the reserve wines is I will take 100% new French oak barrels that have these holes either in the top or usually on the on, on the head of the wine or the barrel that is removable and you'll take um, this is this sounds completely crude and hard to believe but as it comes off the stem or crusher you're taking five gallon buckets filled with whole berries not crushed and you're putting these whole berries dumping them into the into this hole that fills the barrel and you're filling seven, eight, ten. Tw- this year I ordered twelve <laughs> barrels. I mean, they're going to go crazy, right? But you fill them full and you ferment it. It's uncrushed grapes, and it takes about five weeks to ferment, and and then another, you know, you you another 
two, three weeks. So it's like two months in the barrel. These are all brand new French oak barrels. And you press it, and but you only end up with like 50, 60% of a barrel yield. So to make eight barrels of wine, you're going to need 12 new French oak barrels. Wow. So needless to say, yeah. it's, 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 just, it's a technique. They've been doing it in a lot of places in Napa, in, in France. Um, it's something I saw in 2011 in France. Uh, in, in Bordeaux. And a trip to Bordeaux. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and I, you know, if you learn one thing every year, you're eventually, if you live to be 400 years, you'll be smart. <laughs> but um, but I, I like to learn one thing uh, every, I like to learn one thing every Well, Gary, I think day. you've learned a, quite a lot over. A well, you know, he is all self-taught. He's had a mentor too along the way, but he's got quite the palate. The, he's the, definitely the, a super taster. The world's, the world's full of, of, great people in the wine business and it's it's an interesting field in that there's so much sharing because you 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 there's no right or wrong it's what you believe and I, you could give uh, a ton of grapes to 10 different winemakers and all the same grapes and they would all taste all 10 would taste extremely different there would be a th- common theme in them but as far as sharing information, I, I've never seen anything like it in this business. It's from small winemakers to small winemakers. I mean, some people just don't like talking, and some people <laughs> are your friends. Okay? Yeah. They're, 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 so what sharing is also things. It's yeah. like it, it you know needing needing another tank, needing it another is. barrel, needing needing a bin Absolutely. at harvest. Yeah, it's, Absolutely, it's, it's, it's so that's true. the small. Yeah. town wine country yeah. feel here that's really amazing yeah, and, really and you really get that with the winemakers is, is, is the help is i mean i needed for a blended i need 15 gallons of merlot i mean where are you gonna go get 15 <laughs> gallons of right. merlot okay and, and it's, it's a small order right I mean, it's like like 15 gallons yeah like, what do you mean right i can put that in the passenger side yeah. of the truck right yeah, no, so i'm like, going to yeah. go back to what gary just talked about and I, I like to call that the artistic expression of the winemaker so there's of course the science behind winemaking but what which is very important but what is so interesting is the artistic expression as he just mentioned many different winemakers can take fruit from the exact same vineyard and make them taste and smell very differently and that is a really cool part so that when you open a bottle of wine, you're just discovering something, you know, and um, and that the aromas, the taste really bring you through a, an experience that uh, you sit down at a table with family and friends and enjoy that you don't get in any other product or activity that we do, which is why it's so much fun to be in this business and to be sharing our or small boutique wines with people from across the country. Neat stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I wanted to, uh, I want to go back for just for a second, Gary, about you, you were talking about Cabernet and Malbec, and I wanted to find out a little bit more about what you were trying to accomplish with the blend, bringing in a little Cabernet to the Malbec. What, um, what, what yeah. flavor profile were you trying to tweak? It, it, for me, the f- it's not so much a flavor profile. It's more of a texture profile. Okay. And there's the beginning and the middle and the end. And if you taste what I tasted, I mean, expensive Malbecs. I mean, uh, from Argentina, $100 bottle Malbecs, what, 10 years ago? And that, that's that's 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like them. Uh, mm. and, and because they weren't stretched out enough. 
um, stretching a while. There's a beginning, middle, and an end. And Malbec tends to have a, a, this great beginning and a pretty rough end. So you ha- need to blend it so it's texturally integrated. So ca- Cabernet, you, you, though, that's what you were trying to accomplish. With, with Cabernet, you can usually yeah. get it with Malbec. Um, it's, it, it's, it, but it has to be Cabernet at a, a pretty high pH or ripe, much riper Cabernet. You can't be using Cabernet that is, you know, tight and restrained. Uh, Malbec is a pretty tight and restrained, uh, grape varietal that'll give you a lot of tannins. But, you know, if you learn how to deal with, those tannins you it's but i absolutely get now that you described it i get it because i'm thinking back to some other melbacks i've had where they're they're huge mid-mouth and then they drop mm-hmm. like a brick right at the end there's so no finish. extended mouth feel yeah and uh i'm thinking back to some other experiences and you do the gary this is something i think that's part of your personal winemaking style is you're really arching your wines from the attack, the delivery, to the mid-mouth and the finish. You don't, you don't, none of these wines we've tasted drop off like a rock. They all have this, they open big and then they, they keep going and they go and the finish keeps extending. And that's been an education for me and learning how, you know, really long finishes that just keep going and remind you of what you've been having um, really makes for a very expressive and very well-balanced wine yeah, as it, opposed to the ones that just fall off like a brick. Yeah, no, the ones that fall off like a brick, it, it's... it's. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> you drink oh, them, no, you find it, and you go, what happened? I, I see them all the time, and I, and I ask myself, this wine, because you smell it, it's just gorgeous. And you, it, like I said, there's beginning, middle, and an end. And a lot of places, or wine, excuse me, will have the beginning and the end, but building that mid-palate, that stretches it between the two. Uh, that's why I said stretching out a wine. It's not like taking a rubber band and stretching out. You're just adding more components, and that's what you get with blending. Um, and as you have, um, our, the Cabernet Franc we grow in this vineyard is a bless, the best blending grape I've ever seen in my life. Um, Ellen's opening something yeah, new. Yeah, well, yeah, we great. have to have a Cabernet. Uh, we, are in, we are in Napa Valley. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, great. That's all we need. More wine. Anyway, so, and, and, I, and, I, and I use it, and I know exactly where I'm going to be using it every year. And it's, it's only three, four tons, and um, and and it just it just works in blending, and, and you don't think it's that Thank great. Thank you, of a Ellen, line. for the poor audio. <laughs> Sorry, Gary, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no. So, no, Gary, no. you lead me to um, a, a, a question of knowledge. Uh, Richard Burton, the late great Richard Burton, um, used to say with his beautiful Welsh lilt. Um, that he never felt like he really got a handle on a character, a part, a script, until well past 200 performances. Wow. That's a lot of, that's a lot of performances of Richard mm-hmm. III 
or I don't know if he ever did Lear, um, mm-hmm. you know, but mm-hmm. the, the Henry, whatever, mm-hmm. he, he did a lot of, sure. lot of stage roles in, in addition to screen roles. And I'm, I'm wondering, Gary, if you felt like there was a point where you felt like, okay, I my 200 performances in, I got, I've got really got a grasp mm, on this. Great question, Marcia. Um, it's it's interesting because when you, I I have so much respect for these winemakers that have new vineyards thrown at them every year, and and you know they're making a lot of wine that they have to make at high quality and high prices. I, I would just find that utterly staggering and impossible. Um, but they're there. And I felt I've learned more about winemaking in the last five years than I did in my first 20. Um, the people that I've associated with and the questions I've asked and the questions that they've answered um, led me to this belief that you, you, you have to kind of be bold in your approach. And the, the, I think it was the, the great Emile Pinot, he, was a, 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 he wrote a great book. And he uh, is a French wine educator, and he said, uh, somebody asked him, how many decisions do you have to make in winemaking? And he thought about it for a little bit. He says, approximately 200. And he said, and none of them are not to do anything. <laughs> so you must keep trying and trying and trying. And it's it's just amazes me these young winemakers that come out and they're, and they're so good i it's 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 wonderful but then you have a you know some homemade taught guys like me who really want to make a you know make take a whack at it but you sure better be good because the other people out there are really good but the good news is they'll share their information with you if you're nice enough to them. Yeah. It's a great part of this industry. It is. It is. So let's talk about the 2016 Signature Cab. I just yes. put in the <coughs> That was the cork pull that you yeah. heard, heard a yeah. little earlier. Yeah. Tell us about so, the wine. So this this is the, um, it, it's it's from a vineyard on, on the west side um, near Yontville. And west side of 29, up in the in the bench uh, mm-hmm. foothills, mm-hmm. and I've been getting the same one and a half, two acre block for since 2013. This in 16 is when I started playing around with blending. I was just doing you know 100 mm-hmm. cabernet, and I was worried about I, it, it. It was it just didn't work for me, and so I started blending cab franc. And started planting some Malbec from the from the estate here, with it, and the the Cab Franc was what really makes this wine. And now, um, this was the first year I did blending earlier. I just, you know, like I said, I've learned more in the last five years than I have in the first twenty. And taking and start blending earlier um, really helps, especially once you know your vineyards, you know your sites. Um, and your, your your the tastes, um, it's it's just it, it happens. So this is about 
um, 15% Cab Franc um, off our vineyard. And there's a little bit of Merlot in here, but it, the, the Cabernet that comes off that vineyard um, is, is just phenomenal. And uh, it, um, the, the, the Cab Franc really lifted this wine. It does the 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 pyrazines and everything give it kind of this it it fills out you know I'm such a visual person it fills yeah. out the roundness yeah yeah this is this, this is a complete mouthfeel yeah so <laughs> but it's uh it's it's light and I don't mean light and I I mean it's light in that it's just the right openness mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know how else yeah. to no, the wine, has, wine has great balance and and you you taste it and you just want another glass of it. And it, it doesn't have any astringency. Mm. Um, and this, this wine I'm, <coughs> I'm, I'm happy with, but it's when you learn a lot about, you know, I, I, so I go to the respect for these people who can sit there and just blend and blend and blend, and they're, they're good. And, um, wow. and you know, I, it took me a while to get it, but it's it's this you've this got wine, it you've this, got it this, this wine was 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 a wine that was blended and it it, but, it and I'm, it, I'm happy with and it, it also it's, keeps really the finish to it it, it keeps, keeps going it does keeps lingering and going when and gary going. was talking about there's no astringency to this this is one of the things i really like about this wine because a lot of cabernets that you get that are not as well balanced um will leave you with the the chalky smack on the sides mm-hmm. of the mouth, and then you're sitting there going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and it's kind of and it and what happens when you get that astringency is it stops delivering fruit flavor, mm-hmm. and it kind of mm-hmm. just it leaves it mid mouth, and oftentimes it might lead to the entire flavor profile collapsing at the end. You know, you get that brick fall off right. of everything stopping. None of that happens mm. with this wine. It just mm-hmm. keeps going. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's it's trade yummy. Off. Yeah, there's, there's trade-offs in wine <clears throat> when you're making. Um, and it's always about, well, you need the tannins for the ageability. Um, and that was always the, the very French thing. Um, and there's grape tannins and oak tannins. And the grape tannins are from the roof of your mouth, the top of your tongue, and that sandy feel. And I don't necessarily think that's a great feel, um, but these these tannins on the on a little bit on the more your side of your mouth are oak tannins, which go away. You know, this wine has been in the bottle for almost two years now, and which is nothing, but it's it's really rounded the wine out. Um, but I don't I don't think it's going to be you know a twenty year bottle of wine unless you're storing it at 50 degrees the whole time the whole time <laughs> and so I, I i'm you know there's the ageability versus accessibility and and if you want to make your customers happy at least in this country most of them want accessible wines mm-hmm. and they don't care if they're going to age for 20 years. They, they just right. don't look at wine that way. And I think that's an important thing because when I start making, when I stop making wine for my customers and start making wine for me, that's ridiculous. And that's yeah. when you start losing customers. Yeah, you may be happy, but you know I don't need to drink 
40,000 bottles of wine a year, okay? <laughs> no. So the wine we make are for the customers. Yeah, they yeah. they're very accessible. Yeah. They're available and approachable to drink immediately. Yeah. yeah. And I have to say this Cabernet has a beautiful garnet color. Uh, opaque, mm-hmm. but garnet. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, and I, and I, I don't know yeah. what you think, you know, aging wise, you already said that you don't think it's going to go 20 years, but drink but it definitely now. 10. No, definitely. It's beautiful 10. right we, now. It is beautiful. Now we're drinking some of our older cabs, um, that are eight to 10 years old and they're just to die for. I, I wish we would have kept a little bigger library than we have, but, uh, but that goes back to the inventory game. management. Um, <laughs> but, uh, right. but you know, you can only drink the bottle once, right. so uh, enjoy it while you do. The, the, um, the interesting thing, one of the interesting things, and I'll, I'll take some of these grapes, and I'm surprised it's not more uh, commonly used, and I'll pick my grapes pretty ripe where the potential alcohol would be above 15%, which to me is, you know, <laughs> very high. And But if you put them in open-top fermenters, and I learned this from another winemaker, put them in open-top fermenters, and don't, once it starts fermenting, you take that, they, they put usually put these little um, fly swatter lids on mm-hmm. the top. You just remove it at night. Just let it, and it'll drop. The alcohol by a half to uh, two thirds of a percent. Wow! Yeah, just by the alcohol burn off during fermentation, so you don't have to water Mother it Nature down. Mother Nature doing its thing. You don't have to water it down <laughs> to get to the alcohol you want. Just let it burn off. Very cool. And you know, a lot of people will add water to get to that alcohol, but it seems a whole lot easier for me just to let it evaporate. You get less wine, but get better wine and it's just one of those little things i i'm, I'm the guy in the winery who loves the open top fermenters and they're like you want to use your open top i'm like yep i want all of them so anyway that's there just you go fun stuff yeah absolutely so the only other wine we didn't talk about that we make is our zinfandel uh that comes from a little one acre block up on mount theater and um we also didn't talk um in great detail about uh, our dessert wine yeah. Um, but I guess you'll have to come to Fortunati That's to right. taste some of these. Right. There you go. Schedule so, an appointment because yeah, you can uh, sample all of these. You can uh, see how it's going to fit with, uh, as you said, value-driven wines that mm-hmm. are uh, superbly made but absolutely fit your budget yeah. in many ways. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want our listeners to know before we got to go? You this have listeners? <laughs> we have yes, listeners. We have lots of listeners. Ah. Oh, good. There are people all across the country who there enjoy go. good wine. That's fun stuff. With a good meal. And um, we enjoy hosting them here at Fortunati. Yeah. yeah. Come visit. Woohoo. Yeah. We got a new pizza oven. Yeah, that's right. Gary, <laughs> Gary's fun thing. That's a, always been a favorite of Gary's. Guy, and guy's Gary, Gary loves to cook. I know. So, and he's good at it. He so is. He go. is. I'm As are very, you. I'm, <laughs> I'm spoiled. I have a husband who makes wine and, and cooks. cooks. <laughs> that is pretty spoiled. Yeah, it's fun. So come and enjoy uh, what we do here. At Fortunati Vineyards you. here in Napa Valley yeah, in the Oakville District. You. Gary Lechtel, thank you so much You're for welcome. your words and information and wisdom. 
Ellen Reichlittel, thank you so oh, much for thank that. Thank you, Marsha. And listeners, it's thank a you. pleasure. I've known you a long time, Marsha. I know we go way, way, I way know. back. We'll, we'll it's write fun it up. to see both of our evolutions. I know, very yeah. true. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, and listeners. Thank you. You gotta come and try it all out. We'll Absolutely. talk to you next week with another episode of Wine Women Radio Hour.